Okay, here we go, A Better World Part 1. What an opening. Immediately you're just wondering what's going on. Because even though you don't know yet exactly where you are, it's clear that they're fighting the American military. It certainly looks like an official place of some sort, and then in one second you obviously find out exactly where you are. Now a couple things to mention right off the bat, the music that I just talked over. The music for this episode was done by uh, Michael McQuistian, and the little bit of music there when Wonder Woman was saying, wait for me, is a theme that he composed for Wonder Woman, but which is not the official Wonder Woman theme that dates back to Paradise Lost in Season 1. So, in a little bit of an odd gaffe somewhere along the line, we ended up with two Wonder Woman themes. So you'll hear that second theme several times throughout episode, the episodes that Mike McQuistian does. The concept of Lex Luthor becoming president dates back to a storyline just at the very beginning of this decade spearheaded primarily by Jeff Loeb in the comics, where Luther ran for and successfully became president of the United States of America, running as an independent, I believe, on a platform of technological improvement and intellectual greatness. Quite likely something similar happened here. I'll tell you, though, Boy, you get sick of this conversation pretty quick when you watch this episode and then Season 4 comes along and you see Question Authority and it's repeated in full there for the purposes of reminding viewers who it's been two years since they've seen this episode or for viewers who haven't seen it at all when this episode and that episode are so fantastic and you end up watching them repeatedly, you get sick of that conversation pretty quickly. But this is shocking the first time when you realize that he's just completely burned him to death. And that's the point where I knew, I mean, you kind of know after he kills Luthor that it can't be our world, it's some sort of possible future or something, you don't know quite what it is, it's clear it's not our guys, but any lingering doubts I had were completely erased when Batman said, had to be done, because there's no way that Batman, our Batman would ever condone something like that. I, can, I could buy, if it were written properly, Superman being pushed far enough to kill, but I could never condone Batman walking in and saying, oh, I'm fine with that. So as, as Bruce Timm and the other writers and producers have said many times, this episode started out as a straightforward Crime Syndicate of America story. The Crime Syndicate, Crime Syndicate of America is a team of supervillains from an alternate Earth in the comics. In, in the, before Christ's on Infinite Earth, they belong, belong to a world called Earth-3, where good was bad, and right was wrong, and truth was lies, and Everything was reversed, and the only 
superhero was Alexander Luthor. And the crime syndicate were, like the Justice League, the main super-powered individuals on Earth, except they were evil. And they would cross over with Earth-1, the Justice League's Earth, many times, and do battle. So this story started out as a fairly straightforward crime syndicate story, but somewhere along the way, the producers and writers decided that it would be more interesting if instead of it being the crime syndicate and them just being pure evil, they were instead almost exactly like our characters. It would be more interesting character study if you see what the characters we follow might do if pushed far enough versus just another group of supervillains. And I have to say, that's I agree with that logic. John sounds so impotent there. Oh. Completely defanged. Bush. Bush is in the house. People have watched this and have not realized that's George W. Bush, but I looks exactly like him to me. I'm almost certain it was intended to be. I remember when this first aired on Cartoon Network, they had this god-awful promo in the bottom right corner for Star Wars Clone Wars, a series of animated shorts that were coming out soon. It had little R2-D2 sounds that were so loud that you literally could not hear Superman's conversation with Bush. It completely drowned out the dialogue for like ten seconds. And since that's the version I recorded onto a recordable DVD and, and watched over and over again for years... I got so used to that beeping that it takes me out of the show every time I watch this clean DVD copy because I'm waiting for it to come up and it never does. I guess the, uh, the advertising works when you just can't get it out of your brain even years later. That's right, John. Martian logic can't stand up to the power of cliches. Now, it's obvious here that somewhere along the way in the Justice Lord universe, everybody, the other team members, found out what Superman's secret identity is, because they refer to Smallville as his hometown. Whether the invasion of, that we see in Starcrossed happened here earlier or something... And similar events happened here where they found out each other's secret identities or whether they revealed to meet them revealed them to each other after Flash died to try to prevent them from being caught unawares again, I don't know, but they obviously know who he is. And this is something that surprises surprised me. Smallville has a university. I mean I guess the Justice Lords could have founded it or, or coerced the government into forming it, you know, as a monument to Superman but I find it hard to believe that under normal circumstances this small farming town in Kansas could have a a university with a student population as a student population that's large and indignant enough to warrant a visit from Green Lantern and Hawk Girl. I mean look at that, it's a pretty nice campus. There's the guy in the pink and black shirt that appears in like every other episode. I'm pretty sure this is the only time he speaks. 
You see the same character models repeated again and again in the background. There's that one. There's a little blonde girl and her blonde mother. There's an African-American guy with sort of an afro. There's an older hippie-looking guy that Flash steals the car from in Brave and the Bold. See the same characters over and over. There it's pretty obvious that... I mean, this is nothing new if you've actually listened to the episode. I'm not telling anything you shouldn't already have inferred, but Green Lantern and Hawkgirl are obviously sleeping together already in this reality. Prefiguring what happens in our reality. Lois! How great is it to have Dana Delaney back again? This time her character is on model. And this is just a very well-acted scene as well. Those candles seem a little superfluous when they're eating in broad daylight, but... They're eating gazpacho by candlelight in the middle of the day. No wonder she's angry at him. He doesn't seem to know much from romantic vibes. It's a very cartoony expression on his face right there. There's Batman in his sort of Batman Beyond inspired costume. I love that line too. Ah, love. People have commented it wasn't until Clash in Season 4 that we actually saw the real Superman, our Superman, and the real Lois Lane interact in Justice League. Because in Only a Dream, it was a dream. Here, it's an alternate reality. When she appears in Hereafter, he's dead, or thought dead. It's not until Clash that they actually speak to each other, and even then, the only thing he says to her is, Not now, Lois. It's not until, uh... It's not... It, taking that into account, it's not then until Question Authority that they actually have a real conversation. It seems a little odd. And there you go. Now you know they're not our guys, if there was any doubt. Now, interestingly, some people have thought that and the, end, the ending of Part 2 seems to sort of lend credence to this, that this might be a possible future, and certainly the question subscribes to that theory later on in, in Season 4. But the fact that Batman says they don't call themselves the Justice Lords, they're the Justice League, implies to me that these people never call themselves the Justice League, which would obviously rule out this being a possible future. Although I suppose you could say that something almost identical to this might happen. Some of the minor details might be different. But. There's Battlesuit Luther. For those who don't know, Luther's green and purple battlesuit is dates back to a, a design given to him, I believe, by George Perez a few years before Crests on Infinite Earth, so around the early mid-80s originally wasn't built to contain his kryptonite illness or anything in the comics, because he never had a kryptonite illness at that time in the comics. The whole Iron Man-esque thing where it's it keeps his disease in remission 
is an innovation of the animated series. In the comics, it was just a new, more powerful weapon he could use against Superman. Great line. Breakable, I hope. One, the Mike McQuiston's secondary Wonder Woman theme here in a, in a second. As the police start to converge on him. There's a nice sort of vibe in this scene, like like the, like a family. I don't know what it is. It's just a small thing, but there's a real sense of closeness between the characters, which makes it all the more painful when you realize what happened in the other universe. Now everybody gets to know what Kevin Conroy went through back in Perchance to Dream, when he had to do two Batman in the same episode without stopping. I love this little exchange here, too, between Batman and John. The two skeptics of the League. The two intellectuals. They have a lot in common, actually. <laughs> That's a little corny. Yeah, okay, I'm in. Good. This is just cold, what they do to them. They put them in a big box and electrocute them. Batman didn't put his usual design flair into this big white box. <laughs> that doesn't look like something Batman would build. It's not going to strike fear into any criminals. Now, some people have wondered why Hawkgirl is the only one that doesn't get taken out immediately by this thing, and it's because her mace, of course, is conducting electricity. And as long as she holds on to it and her feet are on the ground, the circuit is complete and she doesn't feel any shock. As soon as it's knocked out of her hand, she's out. If Green Lantern's beam wouldn't have taken her out anyway. And here we get Doomsday. For years, back during the days of Superman the Animated Series, people were wondering, when's Doomsday going to come in? When's Doomsday going to come in? And they didn't want to do it. They thought he was just a one-note character introduced in the comics for the sole purpose of beating Superman to a pulp and then dying. And it's true, he wasn't a very interesting character in the comics during his first appearances. But what they managed to do here is they managed to trot him out for almost an identical reason. He's just really a, a big brute, a punching bag. But it works, because what they do with him is very ingenious. People who have seen the comics and who are aware of the death of Superman and Doomsday's role in it, they see Doomsday show up, and it just brings all that back. You're like, oh my god, Superman's going to die. You feel like Doomsday is going to kill Superman, or, or at least kill the Justice Lord Superman, because obviously our Superman isn't going to be killed in this episode. But you feel that maybe he might kill the Justice Lord Superman, and it, it just brings all those emotions from the death of Superman back. So when you see what Justice Lord Superman does to him, just the the efficiency and the just the nonchalant brutality of it, he's just like, oh, I'll lobotomize him, and bam, he's he's out. He's no longer a threat. Just the the viciousness of it, the lack of regard for Doomsday's individuality and in life 
it just completely shatters your expectations and all of a sudden you understand what the Justice Lords are capable of. And how powerful and seductive their way of thinking can be. Because if it came down to it, if Superman had to choose between being beaten to death by this monster or lobotomizing him, what would he choose? And we find out what choice our Superman would make in just that situation in a, in a Doomsday Sanction in uh, in Season 4. And we find that he makes the exact same choice the Justice Lord Superman does. And that's what makes the other characters, and indeed much of the audience, a little nervous. And I love the music in this scene, too. Little flash of the skeleton there. You've got to do that. The music in this scene is great, though. As is the animation. This is Dong Wu, I believe. Just some of the lighting effects on the explosions and so on. Minor things, but they really add to the the feel of a scene. Here Jean's doing his glowing blue thing, which he didn't do very often, and I'm not even sure exactly what it is. Is he changing his his form into some sort of energy, or uh, I don't know what he's doing there. This plays off of Jean's fear of and weakness to fire from the comics, which they didn't really play up in the series. They would trot it out every now and then as a wink to the fans, and this was one of them. Man, you can do it. Put those high heels to work. Use them to gain some traction. There you go. That's great. Storyboarding here is fantastic. I would not be surprised if it was either Bruce Tim himself or Joaquim Dos Santos, who would later go on to direct a lot of the best big action episodes of Justice League Unlimited. This just has a brutality that both of them would bring to the fight scenes of this storyboard. I love this here when Luthor is, clearly feels so at home in prison. He's king of his own little mountain. He knows how everything works and he can control a situation. Probably prefers it in a lot of ways to being free. Now here, Doomsday says he's here to he's here in search of power to and to test his might against the strongest the Earth has to offer. Now, what we find out in the Doomsday Sanction in season four was that he's a clone, he's a genetically altered clone of Superman created by the government, launched into space to get rid of him, but who ended up crashing back to Earth. So, if you think about it. Oh, the sonic boom. The shock wave. It's a great bet. Quite similar to what they end up doing in Destroyer. But uh, if you think about it, that must mean that what Doomsday thinks his motivation and his history are must have been sort of implanted memories by Cadmus. They, we know they brainwashed him to hate Superman. They must have 
so that he could justify it to himself, they must have implanted the false story that he would that his goal is to seek out the strongest. And so that's why, of course, he, he immediately wants to fight and destroy Superman. That must have been the cover story that Cadmus implanted in him, so to speak. I always feel really so really sorry for him here. I don't know why. I mean he's a he's a monster, but just the the way the music hits there and you just like you suddenly realize, man, it he may have been evil, but everything he was is gone in a in a second. Snapper's hair is the wrong color there. That's been pointed out before. Should be brown. Sounds like someone from Entertainment Tonight there. What's with the new costumes, guys? And here Luthor immediately knows it's not them. Which is a little bit of a callback of sorts, I suppose, to Legacy and Superman, where he immediately knew that the robot Superman was not Superman, because, as he says... He makes it a point to learn the habits and mannerisms of his enemies. He knows them better than they know themselves. So, what a great episode. One of the best. Probably the best of season two, I would say. Many others might say Starcross, but... This blows most of the rest of them out of the water. Thanks for listening.